0: Welcome back to Steph's Business Bookshelf with something a little bit different. For the next couple of weeks, I am sharing some conversations I've been having with my friends about what they've been reading in 2021. This week, I'm talking to Lisa Leong, the ABC This Working Life radio show and podcast host and soon to be author of the This Working Life book. Lisa and I talk about everything from existential concepts to creativity and perfectionism. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did recording it with Lisa. If you are enjoying these little different episodes called How We Read, I encourage you to have a look at my Patreon membership, which is starting in January and will include more conversations like this as bonus content. You can find a link to that in the show notes of this episode, along with all of Lisa's contact details and details about the books that she talked about as well. But with all of that said, let's go and talk to Lisa. Hello. How's it going? Pretty good now. Uh, book off to the editors, publishers. That's right, isn't it?
1: Yeah, so it sent the manuscript off to be printed. So Printed, the- gone to print.
0: Wow. That's Back it.
1: To the printers. <laughs> yeah, something really final about that. Mm. But exciting. So it's been it a wonderful process, actually. And I reminded myself through the whole thing, enjoy the process as we go enjoy every moment it is actually not about the end result. so that has meant that it's actually been joyful especially writing with such an amazing co-writer as Monique as well absolutely and, and a beautiful relationship of writing has ensued and that's been part of the fun is that <laughs> you know really Being able to share it with someone. And then also, we've been partnering with some amazing people. So, Mm. Party Grant, the publishers with Armin Summers, has actually been part of that joy. So, you know, that's an example of coming together. And did you know that we have an EP being launched? Wow. An EP, as in an EP like music. Yeah. So, we can. Soundscape. Yeah. Singer songwriter Little Green, Amy Nelson, to. Read the book, reflect on it, and create yeah, a wow. soundtrack for the book so to prime you as you're reading.
0: As you're reading, so, oh, so not as the audiobook to actually go with. Oh wow!
1: Yeah, there's That's QR the codes. There's QR codes.
0: Of course, there's a QR code. It's 2021. <laughs> That's right. So you have to check in and listen. <laughs> Amazing, Lisa. We talked. We we dive straight into talking about the book, and we didn't tell our lovely listeners who may be listening to this conversation what is the book about. Give us the 30 second overview.
1: It's called This Working Life, and that's the name of my podcast as well on ABC. And it really came out of the fact that through COVID, people were starting to really have a rethink about their work lives and in a way their identity. So we're getting Mm. a lot of emails, Maria Tickle and I. Maria is the producer of the show, just basically saying, oh, you know, how do I navigate my career? You know, what should I do next? and so we, I was approached by Arwen Summers from Hardy Grant basically to say, look, is there something that you could do book-wise? And I thought, absolutely. And so it's how to navigate your career in times of uncertainty. And it goes much deeper into an individual journey. So that's to reflect first on who you are and also looking at parents and grandparents, et cetera. And then you go into the outside world, which is, you know, you actually can't do this alone. It's better Mm -hmm. to do this journey with others. So we talk about a second renaissance where you bring together a creative collective. Oh, wow. I like that. And so you're sort of bouncing off others as you're
0: navigating your career. So that's it in a nutshell. Mm. I can't wait to read it. I'm very excited about this one. The cover looks amazing from the little bits, like sneaky bits that you've been sharing and stuff as well, the illustrations and things. So and Hardy Grant just do a beautiful job of of their books and rethinking what nonfiction looks like, which sounds like you're doing as well with the the soundscape and the soundtrack. So that's amazing.
1: And one of the things that I love about them and being a nonfiction book nerd like yourself, you'd love Mm. to. So it's, they call it nonfiction narrative. Nice. Like a memoir meets you know, and it's, so it's sort of like has this succulent nature about it. It's very sort of hopefully nurturing and nourishing as much as it is informative, entertaining, engaging.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, um, that's great. So I don't think there's so much space for that. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much space for that in nonfiction. Like it's been such a dull category for so long. And I think there's some really interesting people and groups doing really interesting stuff and collective creative collections doing really interesting stuff on that. So that's awesome. Oh,
1: and and on that note, just in terms of how it looks, so mm. we've got an illustrator, Julia Murray, and she has really taken the nonfiction book to a new level where it's mm. nearly an illustrated book. It's got little pictures throughout, so it's mm. kind of like picture book
0: meets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of um, like the Austin Austin Cleon, but probably like the kind of like a bigger version of that.
1: Yeah. yeah. So I think I think we were trying to live out, you know, what we were espousing by creating what we call a squad of explorers. Mm. So we weren't putting ourselves out as the experts on work because that is that
0: nobody exists.
1: Yeah, yeah. In that yeah. Category because no. nobody knows so as who, much as some
0: people may say that they do <laughs> yeah,
1: so we've just got experts in the field you know whether it be an expert in illustrating or an expert in particular areas and then basically put it all together
0: <laughs> yeah nice perfect all right we were let's talk about some other books that you've been reading so tell me a little bit about the first book you have read and that has really stuck with you since you've read it
1: yeah, so this is an interesting book. It's called The Mindful Therapist. Just starting, starting light. Keep it light, Lisa. Yeah. But <laughs> I tell you why I came back to this book. It has really struck me that when we are an expert in something, so when you're a, maybe an expert in being a leader or a manager, uh, you could be an expert in terms of professional services or in your area. Very often, when people come to interact with you, they're expecting a certain thing from you, Mm -hmm. and that's to tell them what to do or to say something profound and instructive. (laughs) And I think sometimes that gets in the way of truly diagnosing people's needs and letting something special emerge between the both of you. Mm. So the starting point is that often in business, we talk about b to b and we talk about organizations and cultural change, but actually it's more like h to h human to human, and that it's all those little interactions along the way that actually move the dial.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: when we talk about h to h or human to human, that lever is actually the conversation. And so what this
0: tome the mindful therapist. No, it does look quite thick.
1: Yeah, it does. Is it looks at, yes, a therapeutic relationship. So one of a specialist, an expert mm-hmm. therapist and their patient. And it basically looks at the fact that the most effective solutions happen when the therapist is present. When the therapist is open to those infinite possibilities that are there in between two people Mm. and that being open to the, I don't know, or tell me more, those beautiful questions Mm -mm. that you can ask to really understand the other and vice versa. Yeah. Like that's where the better solution lies, the more beautiful solution, maybe the right solution if there is such a thing. And so, and in this book, there's like these beautiful terms, like I've got a good one, right?
0: Attunement. Yeah, right. Okay. Good word. Yeah. Yeah. Because what does that mean to you? Attunement. I think it would go deep. It's deeper than listening. It's actually connect. It's more connecting than listening.
1: Yeah. It's like for me, sometimes I talk about mind jazz. You have an instrument. It's your own unique instrument and you're a specialist in that stuff. Mm-hmm. I have an instrument and I'm a specialist in it. You know, and that's mine. So, in mind jazz, what's happening is you might start playing a particular tune, and I'm attuning to that. So I'm kind of getting the rhythm and the cadence. you know, I'm kind of going, oh, this is what Steph's playing so I yeah take nice. my instrument, and I kind of play mind jazz with it in the sense that I pick up the vibe. But I'm not playing your tune. That's copying. That's trying to be Steph. I've got a completely mm. different instrument here. So then I take it away. I play my <laughs> own thing. And then it's back to you. Mm. Sometimes we play together. And something beautiful emerges. We've never had it before. It never occurred to you this was going to happen. Mm. That's mind jazz. And it yeah. comes from attunement. And then it comes from resonance. So that's another yeah, thing. Well, yeah, yeah. And you know how sometimes you're talking to someone and you're like, oh, I'm not I'm not attuned to their frequency and you Mm -hmm. actually don't get the person and you walk like, I really, or it takes you five minutes and you're like, I'm not really, no, I've got you now. Oh yeah. now. And
0: then you start making like, dislike things, probably prematurely. And I was actually just thinking about that exact thing about someone this morning, not you, don't worry. (laughs) Someone else. How am I going (laughs) to, how am I going to interact better with that particular person where there is not that we don't, The mind jazz is messy currently. It's more jazz flute. That's awesome. I love it. How have you you brought that into the conversations you have both around the dinner table or in coaching conversations? Because that's probably where there's a really easy link, I'd say. So there's a
1: couple of things uh, that are really useful to do, particularly when you're on Zoom. So just that moment of presence before the conversation so that you have left everything, you know. It's your concept of threshold again. So I literally sort of create, I've got a little routine that I do, which now takes about two minutes. I did it just before our chat today and it's just a bit of breathing, just a bit of interoception, which is just internal body awareness of how am I bringing myself today? What are my energy levels? So Mm -hmm. that at least
0: I'm aware of what what baggage I'm bringing into each conversation, (laughs) right? Yeah. A bit like Adam, Dr. Adam Fraser's third space, that kind of moving from transition to transitioning from what A to B, but through the this sort of this liminal bit in the middle.
1: Yeah. And just bringing that consciousness mm. and then empathy mapping, especially if mm. it's someone that I don't know very well, I might go to public places and stalk them all right <laughs> i assume you mean like linkedin
0: not a, the library or like the street they live <laughs> that's right or a cafe I,
1: yeah all of it and i, I hide <laughs> in the bushes <laughs> and i observe them
0: oh yeah okay sounds like
1: legit dead. yeah <laughs> just you know i wonder what this person might be bringing in with them mm. you know, just that little sense of empathy and you know and once again that's absolutely a, p- a part of the mindful therapist is just to mm. bring compassion and care and positive regard for mm. the other person. Because, you know, often we can have this lens, you know, the way we're built to scan the environment for things that may harm us. So just to go, you know, this is actually a safe place and to bring curiosity, I
0: guess, and compassion. Yeah, we all need a bit more of that at the moment, don't we? Especially in quite a binary divided existence, that compassion part. And, and actually, just the conversation itself, I think, is is missing, and will be an interesting skill to rebuild or for people to rebuild over the next couple of years.
1: Yeah, that's a. I mean, that's a really good reflection, Steph, about how we potentially out of practice with holding a real time conversation. And for me, it's not about tips and tricks. It's no. just about reminding ourselves about this idea of presence and awareness because we are tired. Mm -hmm. And I think to understand that our battery levels are depleted and that's part of, you know, just having a better conversation is even to bring awareness to this. And in its extreme, we are possibly operating in our fear zone. So, you know, when we're depleted and tired and our resilience is lower, then we react in different ways. And so we might just be a little bit more tetchy. A person might be a little bit sadder, so a bit heavier, Mm. or they might be quick to anger. Like we all react in different ways. And so to be kind in terms of our responses to that and not to personalise everything. I mean, because that's another thing that we, you know, as human beings, our brains tend to, if something happens, it's because you know, another person did it. Mm, mm-hmm. Other than, yeah. It's just the environment or it's just our interpretation. It's this idea of creating your own story. That's what yeah. our brains do. Yeah. It's create a story around that, which is usually unhinged. <laughs> yeah. And
0: making those connections that aren't necessarily there. So, yeah. Very good. That's awesome. I'm going to, I think I'm going to pick that one up. It sounds like a really nice, connect uh, really nice addition to Coaching and facilitation and all those sort of good things as well. So I like next book I'm particularly excited about. Have you read this one? The Art of I haven't, of- but I wish I had. It sounds awesome.
1: Yeah. So Rosamund Stone Xander and Benjamin Xander. They are a couple. And Benjamin Xander is a very, very famous conductor. And so this book in itself is interesting because you get to tap into the world of performance and, you know, the highest levels of excellence. I think in terms of dealing with people, whether it be yourself or others, who are strivers of excellence and the fact that it can be quite an unbearable burden. Mm. And it can lead to burnout or anxiety, you know performance nerves. You know this is the book that helps with that. yeah okay. um so I'll tell you one of the stories mm. in the book. yeah, I do Have you heard of rule number six? I think I'm about to, which I'm excited about now, are you a fan of rules in general, just out of interest? Um
0: not really. Me no. <laughs> this is a good rule. Like, okay, uh, occasionally I'm like, yeah, okay, that one makes sense. But yeah, not on, not on the whole. Okay.
1: So I'm sort of changing up the story a bit. He tells it as a story about two prime ministers, but I use two CEOs. A CEO is visiting the office of another CEO. They gather around a desk and they're talking about strategy. But this man bursts in, very angry, starts Banging his fist on the desk, the resident CEO reminds him, kindly remember rule number six. The red drains from the man's face. He calmly apologizes. He leaves the room. CEOs return their conversation. They're interrupted shortly again by a woman, urgently demanding attention. Again, the CEO says, please remember rule number six. She also leaves the room with an apology. When the scene's repeated for a third time, the visiting CEO turns to her counterpart. I've seen a lot, but never anything quite like this. Would you be willing to share with me the secret of rule number six? Very simple, replies the resident CEO. Rule number six is don't take yourself so seriously. Amazing. Yeah. And then the visiting CEO says, well, what are the other rules? And of course, there aren't any I like that bit the most. I think that it's called rule number six, but
0: there are no other five rules.
1: And it's a really good shorthand. Mm -hmm. So in organisations, you can have a shorthand, which is rule number six, because if you think about it in times of stress, just ask yourself, am I taking myself too seriously? Very often the answer is yes, I am. (laughs) I mean, so one of my Friends, who is a world leader in terms of viola. Mm. So she's a Baroque viola performer and she performs at the elite level. Mm. And she's got a great saying that she learned from her amazing conductors and that is everything matters and nothing matters. Because if nothing matters, then you're just going to be really sloppy. Mm. So everything matters because, you know, the precision with which they play, everything matters. But then nothing matters because at the end of the day as a human being, like playing like this wood instrument or playing tennis, hitting a tennis ball yeah, or writing something that's published, you know, like so human made, nothing matters. And so yeah. what that gives you is that beautiful. And I love paradox mm. and I love grey. I don't live my life as black and
0: white, actually. I just go, I don't know. And we just do the best we can. <laughs> That's very cool. I'm reading at the moment, I don't know if you've read it yet, The Sunny Nihilist by Wendy Seyfried, uh, who's a, yeah, she's an artist. author. have referred to? Tell me, yeah. tell me. Well, the interesting thing about The Paradox, I'll tell you about that book in a moment, but yeah. then my other book of the year, and I think this is going to be one of them, The Sunny Nihilist, but the other book of the year that I just love was 4,000 Weeks by Oliver Berkman, which everyone's sick of me talking about, I'm sure by now. So, but The Paradox. So that book is very much around thinking about what life really means and what really matters, but not in a time management perspective, just in a actually really thinking about it in a slightly more philosophical way. Whereas the Sunny Nihilist is very much kind of, it's almost the millennial's guide to life. I'm kind of thinking about it because it's really put into words. a A lot of the things that I have found haven't really sort of sat where with me from a kind of what are expectations of life and relationships and all of these kinds of things that are passed down and essentially made up. So it's that really nice paradox of this one being the sunny nihilist being like, nothing really matters, but we kind of, that 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 freedom can give you a lot of freedom to do things and not to worry too much about the the outcome because we're not being remembered. Like we're gonna, <laughs> we will be dust. And then the other, on the other side, thinking about Oliver Berkman stuff around, well, actually, yeah, we do get one life and therefore we should spend it well and spend it on the things that matter. So it's that kind of holding that dichotomy of those two ideas of polar you know in some ways polar opposites but also have almost gone so opposite they're almost the same again so yeah I'm enjoying that kind of thinking at the moment.
1: Yeah I love that and I certainly went into existential through COVID which was yeah. a, a wonderful time to stop and mm. reflect and I remember I did this great program And they set some journaling questions right at the start, you know, 2019. And it was, what is essential right now? And therefore, if you know what is essential, what is therefore inessential that I might let go of? And then what is emerging for me now? And asking those questions about what is truly essential, I mean, that is in relation to life but also work-life, mm. you know. And so I went to Walden Life in the Woods, which we spoke about, yeah, we my, spoke about at, yeah. my, at my nonfiction book club <laughs> episode. And, you know, I think you know, every so often I will go back to that as a reminder to ground myself mm. because it is fun to play and to create and mm. you know, do books and podcasts and broadcasts, yeah, exactly. you know, and to be – Positively occupied is the way I would put it. But then sometimes I think, oh, I'm too positively occupied. (laughs) I need to sleep now. Yeah. I think of it as I have a sea of opportunity, but sometimes I drown in it. Oh, that's so true, isn't it? And how are you going with the balance or just trying to get?
0: Yeah. Yeah, sometimes it's about just finding your, putting your rubber, your uh, your life, what they call the armbands on that the kids wear when they go swimming and just being like, oh, okay, these are the things that are going to keep me afloat. I know what they are and I need to make sure they stay inflated. Like that's if we kind of stretch that analogy a bit more, like that's probably, that's the kind of thinking about it. It's knowing what they are. And for me, that's become hobbies because and not having to, you know, it's almost that like what not taking everything so seriously. Not every hobby has to be a thing that I commercialize. Like sometimes I can just <laughs> do things for fun and not start an Instagram account about it. I love that concept. And I think in, uh, I can't remember the exact quote, so I'll butcher it, but in Oliver Berkman's book, he talks about all the things that, we think we're going to get done. Our email is going to be at inbox zero and all this kind of stuff. And he, you know, this is right near the beginning of the book. He says that none of this will happen. And that's actually a good thing. Like, like you're not going to achieve all of these things. And that's okay.
1: Yeah. And then to-do lists. I mean, that's another yeah. one that I was playing around with getting rid of and moving to time boxing, which mm-hmm. is where you have a calendar and you're, you bring awareness to the finite time you have in your day. And then you just box out the things that you need to do according to priorities. So if your priorities then you would time box your one hour run or one hour mindfulness yep. practice first and then everything you know you put around it. Because to do this, you never get through it. And so you end up feeling bad about yourself because there's just this one, you know, the item that sits down the bottom that haunts <laughs> you and it stay it could stay there for two years. Or it's just so massive, like write book so that's what and so instead you know I would have 500 words or a thousand words and just or you know just start chapter mm. time boxed in my calendar
0: thank you Lisa for taking me through those books those are two books I haven't read but I would now yeah. like to yeah I know and I think I think in all of the conversations this is the last one we're recording that won't be necessarily the last one to go out and just in a confusing scheduling thing but all of the conversations I've had, none of the books I've read. So this is very exciting. So I feel like I've been very, the this is a very selfish, selfish activity on on doing these conversations. That's been awesome. Lisa, as usual, we could talk forever, but we we won't for the benefit of everyone, (laughs) everyone listening. Where can people find you if they want to find out more about the book and also the podcast and anything else that you're doing that you would like to draw people's attention to? So on socials,
1: I'm most active in LinkedIn. So that's Lisa S Leong or you can just find me at Lisa Leong at LinkedIn and then also on Instagram and Facebook
0: as well. Thank you so much. I'll put links to all of Lisa's contact details and things in the show notes. Is the book available to pre-order yet? I think it it is. is, isn't it? Yeah. So we can put a link to that as well. That would be great. So we can yeah. put a link to the, the pre-order of the book as
1: well, but it's out in February in bookstores, February the 2nd.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Lisa. Love talking books with you and or just chatting generally about life and habits and all the other things that we we both have a good appreciation of. Have a good rest of the year. Enjoy your break as well. Hopefully you'll be reading some other good books for us to compare notes on next year. Thanks very much, Lisa. Thanks, Steph.